Bakersoft Story Classic, bringing to you recordings of old storybooks. Children's Married Life, Episode 1 What a happy winter that was, the first of Mildred's married life. Her cup of bliss seemed full to overflowing. She was very proud of her husband, and not without reason, for he was a noble character. He was a man of sterling worth, lofty aims, cultivated mind, and polished address. They were a pair of lovers who grew more and more enamored of each other day by day as the weeks and months rolled on. And while the new love flooded Mildred's pathway with light, the old loves, so dear, so long tried and true, had not to be given up. She was still a member of the home circle, a sharer in all its interests and pleasures, its cares and its joys. There was no interruption of the mutual sympathy and helpfulness of mother and daughter, brothers and sisters, nor was the father deprived of the prized society of his firstborn in the family gatherings around the table, or in the costly sitting-room or parlor when evening brought rest from the toils and cares of the day. She was there, as of old, ready to cheer and entertain him with music, or sprightly conversation, brighter too, and more full of a sweet and gentle happiness than of yore. These things formed no mean or slight element in Mildred's happiness, yet there were times when it was bliss to be alone with her lover husband in the privacy of their own apartments, the room that had always been hers, and a communicating one, both of good size, pleasant and cheery, and made doubly attractive by perfect neatness and various tasteful little feline devices in which Mrs. Keith and her daughters were thought to excel. Mildred soon discovered that her husband was far from neat and orderly in his habits. But accepting the fact as the one inevitable yet small thorn joined to her otherwise delicious rose, she bore the trial with exemplary patience, indulging in never a reproachful word or even look as she quietly picked up and put in place the books, papers, and garments, which he scattered here and there with reckless indifference to consequences to them or himself. Mildred thought her efforts were unappreciated, if not entirely unnoticed, until one day, on opening a drawer in search of some article which he wanted in haste, he exclaimed at the neat and orderly arrangement of its contents, adding, Really, Millie, my dear, I must say with Solomon that he that findeth a wife findeth a good thing. In my bachelor days, I'd have had many a vexatious hunt for things which now I always find in place, ready to my hand. It has been my daily experience since I became a Benedict. Mildred looked up in pleased surprise. I have been half afraid my particularity about such things was a trifle annoying to you, Charlie, she said in a gratified tone. Not at all, but my slovenliness must have been seriously so to you, he returned, coming to her side. I'll try to reform in that respect, he went on playfully, and I wish that, too, help me. You would impose a fine for every time you have my coat to hang up in the wardrobe, my boots or slippers to put away in the closet, or— Oh, I should ruin you, Mildred interrupted with a light, gleeful, happy laugh. 
not particularly complimentary that to either my good intentions or the supposed amount of my income, he returned, bending over her caress her hair and cheek. Besides, it would depend largely upon the weight of the fine. How heavy shall it be? Fix it yourself, since the idea is all your own. One dollar each time for every article left out of place, fine to be increased to not more than five in case no improvement is manifest within a month. How will that do? Oh, laughed Mildred, I shall certainly impoverish you and speedily grow rich at your expense. Come now, little lady, about how often have I transgressed against the rules of order in the two weeks that we have shared these rooms? Perhaps twenty. I have kept no account, so can only guess at it. Well, really, he sighed in mock despair, I could not have believed I was quite so bad as that. But all the more need for reform. You must insist upon the fines, Millie. I can't let you have so much trouble for nothing. Oh, Charlie, as if your love didn't pay me a thousand times over, she exclaimed, lifting to his eyes dewy with mingled emotions, love, joy, and gratitude. He answered with a tender caress and a smile of ineffable affection. And then you have been so generous m with money, too, Mildred went on. Why, I never was so rich before in all my life. I've not spent a fourth part of the hundred dollars I found in my purse the day after our wedding, and Mother tells me you have insisted upon paying a good deal more for our board than she thinks it's worth. Ah, dearest, circumstances alter cases, and with more knowledge you and Mother may change your minds, he replied half absently. Then, after a moment's silence, this is my gift to my dear wife, and I cannot tell her how glad I am to be able to make it. My darling, will you accept it at your husband's hands? He lay, had laid a folded paper in her lap. Thank you, she said playfully and with a pleased smile. I can't imagine what it is, opening and glancing over it as she spoke. Why, half breathlessly as she scrutinized it with more care, then let it fall into her lap with an astonished, half-incredulous look up into his face. Charlie, is it real? she asked. Entirely so, dear Millie, he answered with a tender smile. You have endowed me with all your worldly goods, he, she said, half in assertion, half inquiringly. No, my darling, not nearly half as yet. I know you thought you were marrying a poor man, at least comparatively so, but it was a mistake. And oh, the delight of being able to give you ease and luxury, you who have toiled so long and faithfully for yourself and others. He clasped her in his arms as he spoke. With a heart too full for speech, she laid her head upon his breast and wept for very joy and thankfulness that such love and tender protecting care were hers. There was space for little else in her thoughts for the moment. The next she rejoiced keenly in the wealth that put in her power so much that it had long been in her heart to do for others, yet rejoiced with trembling remembering the master's words, how hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God. If adversity had its trials, prosperity was not without its perils, and a most earnest, though silent prayer went up that she might be kept from trusting in uncertain riches or setting her affection on earthly treasures. Tears, darling, said her husband softly, stroking her hair, I thought to give you joy only. They are happy tears, Charlie, she murmured, lifting her face, putting an arm about his neck, and gazing with loving eyes straight into his. And yet, oh, I'm almost afraid of so much wealth. And she went on to tell him all that was in her heart. Ah, he replied, I do not fear for you. You have 
your very sense of the danger will tend to your safe keeping. Yes, if it keeps me close to the Master, and ever looking unto Him for strength to resist temptation, utter weakness in ourselves, we may yet be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Yes, you know Paul tells us the Lord said to him, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Thank you for listening to another episode of Acresoft Story Classic.